This is the show-off. It's the collab you didn't know you needed. The unholy union of two powerhouses of Australian media. Pedestrian and Batuta Advocate, taking a savage swipe at the week in entertainment news. Anything you've missed? And everything people give a shit about. I'm Josie Rosenberg-Clark, Head of Editorial at Pedestrian TV. I'm Effie Bateman, Lifestyle and Entertainment Reporter at Batuta Advocate. And I'm Wendell Hussey, the Sports Reporter of the Batuta Advocate and the token bloke of this podcast. Now, today on the show-off, we're talking about the star of the new Snow White remake, apparently hating everything about it. The true story uh, behind the 2009 movie, The Blind Side, has been revealed. It's blindsided a lot of people. Not a lot of people are happy. It's pretty crook. We're speaking about the shit that's going on in the below deck down under uh, season. And finally, we're going to touch on the FIFA Women's World Cup and the records is broken in terms of ratings, sponsorship deals, uh, broadcasting rights, all that sort of stuff, and what it potentially means for the future of sport. So let's get into it. Now, it is worth noting that we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon here um, in the studio. Obviously, that means we fall in between the quarterfinal on Saturday night there. Mm-hmm. Matilda's, in, Matilda's in France, famous victory, and the semifinal against England on the Wednesday night. Therefore, we cannot talk too much about results. We can't give you anything. Mm. Hence why we're not giving you a distraught or an overjoyed reaction (laughs) to the game at the Sydney Football Stadium. Hopefully, you are listening to this euphoric because we've beaten the old enemy in the semi-final of a World Cup and we're marching on. But just thought I'd uh, clear that Mm. up at the start of the episode. We'll talk about all the ratings and all that sort of stuff at the back end. But we're going to start off, as we always do, with our obsessions. Josie Rosenberg-Clark, would you like to lead it away? I sure can. I haven't been here for a while. I was worried I'd have stale obsessions. But then Only Murders in the Building came back last Mm. week. And I'm up to date with it because there were only two episodes. I think actually by the time we go to air, to air? What is this? Mm. By the time this episode goes up, there will be a third app. But I can speak very generally about it. I was really looking forward to it coming back because it's like the joy of my life when there's no Ted Lasso anymore. It's like funny, wholesome, but a bit edgy. Mm. So that's why I like it. Love Steve Martin. I've been obsessed with him ever since he was in Father of the Bride. And my mum had to confiscate the VHS from me because I kept watching it on repeat. And she was worried it had something to do with her divorce from my father. And oh, wow. Yeah, she thought I had like, <laughs> I was like not dealing well. I've got a new like, daddy now. Yeah, I was yeah. projecting because I yeah. think she once said she liked Steve Martin. So I decided that was my new father. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't have daddy issues with Steve anymore. I just really like the show. And I don't know if you guys watch it. Do you know the premise? I, I Yes, I kind of know the premise. They've got a podcast, do they? Yeah, they live in this old historic cool building in New York and someone gets murdered in the building in season one and they make a they're all kind of washed up like the two old guys are washed up and there's this young gal that lives in the building that's Selena Gomez and they are this like unlikely trio that team up and they make a podcast about the murder and then in season two oh my god there's another murder in the building and then season three I'm gonna shock you here there's a third murder in the building yeah and it's Paul Rudd Oh. Yeah. So I'm not spoiling it because at the end of season two, you know that it's going to be Paul Rudd. So there's no spoilers. If you're watching a show called Only Murders in the Building, you're going to guess that there's a Mm. murder in the building Mm -hmm. at some point. Selena Gomez is really good in it. She is. I love her character. She's an artist. She's kind of mysterious. Like you Mm. don't know fully know her motives, I guess, for like wanting to be involved with this trio. Anyway, 
I don't want to go into spoilers too much, but what really excites me is this season was all like Paul Rudd, Meryl Streep, like everyone was hyping it. And I thought, oh, they'll be in it for five seconds. Like we know Paul Rudd is murdered and like Meryl Streep, she's it's too Meryl. big it's to Meryl. be in this. They're both in every, well, so far, every episode, she's a main character and they do heaps of flashbacks with Paul. So he's actually featuring more than I thought he would. And he's so good in it. He's like this himbo Marvel star that's like. He's my favorite himbo. Yeah, he is such a himbo in it and everyone kind of hates him, but he's got like, he's good inside. Hmm. He plays it so well. How's the chemistry between him and Selena? Because I believe they had an affair in the past. <laughs> no, they allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, there's blind items, mm. which I'm kind of obsessed with about them being linked in the past. But he's married. I don't want to like throw Besmirch him under the bus. Good name of Paul Rudd. But anyway, I've been watching like a hawk yeah. to see if there's a vibe between them. And actually, her character is obsessed with his because she grew up kind of like me with Father of the Bride. Grew up watching him after like her own family tragedy and this like teen show that he did. So she's got this fixation with him. So I kind of am watching it like, is this a real life fixation or is she just a really good actor? Mm. Who knows? But everyone's really good at it. And it's like Meryl's best work, I reckon, in years. She's so good at it. I could watch her read the phone book though, to be fair. And that's Disney Plus, right? Disney Plus, yeah. It started last week. It's on every Wednesday. I'm actually going to jump in with my obsession now because it hits that similar tone of like, mm-hmm. it's a little bit light, it's entertaining, there's a yep. few laughs, a little bit of edginess about yeah. it, but you know what I mean? It's not going to change your view on the world too much or anything like that. It's just a fun one to enjoy. The Lincoln Lawyer. I love The Lincoln Lawyer. So good. Yeah. Uh, so my partner had it on and was, I started watching just, you know, out of the corner of my eye yes. doing something the else. Classic. And I was like, this. Is <laughs> Did you shuffle towards the TV yeah, with the your hands behind your in the background? Uh, I, was, I was working on the <laughs> laptop. this then? And it was on. I was like, what's oh, shit? what's this? <laughs> and I it was like, this is so cheesy and shit at the start. Yeah. But I found myself within probably one and a half episodes actually just like I hadn't done any work. And <laughs> I, was just looking, I was just looking at the TV watching it and I got around it. And it is good. It's the perfect mix of just like lighthearted entertainment but it's yeah. also got some um yeah some edginess to it mm. some interesting things it's about a mexican-american lawyer he, i mean they say mexican-american because his mum apparently was mexican his old man was american and he's got the twinge of an accent like a yes. um, mexican accent and so he's a lawyer in california had some stuff going on in his life and now sticks up for the little guys you know against the bad guys and you know teaches people a lesson you see some greedy Americans in there, you know, all obsessed with money and don't want to do the right thing. And he stands up for, you know, people who are being um, being gone after by those people. And that's got some feel-good moments, you know. And it's it's got some nice kind of – each episode has its own beats and it's good. It's good, enjoyable content. Hmm. It's got Angus Sampson in there, the Australian yes. guy who, <laughs> you know, he played the dad in Bump. Um, yeah. He plays all sorts of kind he of He gets random characters. roles, doesn't yeah. he? This is he's his great. most random role that I've seen. <laughs> he is like an ex-bikey in California and he talks with this like yeah. gravelly – it's the funniest <laughs> shit. He's like Mickey Holler's best mate who's the main character. Um, it's just very funny to watch him as well mm. every time. And is he with him. Mickey's ex? Yeah, so he's yeah. married to Mickey's ex. Yeah. It's it's – all so ridiculous. And Mickey has a few exes and they all make Oh, yeah, because Mickey's, yeah. Mickey's a smoke show. Like yeah. he's a handsome he guy, is. smooth talking, good, yeah. funny, witty, everything. Like they all love him and it's it's very funny to watch. 
it's cheesy shit, but it's mm. it's good shit. Mm. So well, it's David E. Kelly. He did like the practice. Yeah. Did he do Ally McBeal? He's like the master of like illegal vibes. Mm. American show where you're like, oh, it's not changing the world, but I can't actually stop watching it. Yeah. It's so addictive. Yeah, he's done it well with the the Lincoln lawyer. So recommend that one. Anyway, uh, Effie Bateman, you got an obsession of the week? My obsession is Margot Robbie making an absolute payday with the Barbie movie. Mm-hmm. I saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Loved it. But apparently she has earned $50 million uh, through starring and getting a back-ended... <laughs> <laughs> And also box office bonuses as a producer, which is crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 50 million US as well. Yes. So how much would that be Australian? $10 billion. (laughs) (laughs) Barbie surpassed the 1 billion now. Yes, which is, um, that was kind of notable because first solo female director Mm -hmm. to pass $1 billion, Greta Gerwig. It's also just cool because apparently Margot, when they were pitching it to studios, she, she came said out it. and said that. She was like, yeah. it's going to make a billion dollars. I bet Greta Gerwig was like, sure. It's like, girls. <laughs> we say that. We're women. That's a real Barbie moment. <laughs> yeah. But she she did that. It's so cool. Mm. Did you get an apartment on um, the heads there at Casarina or Burley, mm. wherever yeah, she wants, yeah. really? Yeah. She moved back yep. to the Goldie. Yeah, that hinterland life. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she'll go back to Dolby one day. Who knows? First up in our top stories today, and the new Disney remake of Snow White has hit the campaign trail and there's been a few awkward interviews getting around, Effie. Yes, so I'm going to quote Josie here and say that we found another no talkie. Uh-oh. And that is the lead actress for Snow White. Her name is Rachel Zegler. She is 22, so we need to remember mm. that. So I watched, I've seen these videos going around on Twitter and TikTok and... She's out and she's promoting this movie, but you get the feeling that she doesn't really like it very much. And she's talking, she keeps talking about the original Snow White movie and has kind of been bashing it a bit. Mm. The original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. (laughs) Um, There is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. (laughs) Weird. Weird. So we didn't do that this time. Cast a guy in the movie, right. Andrew Burnap, great dude. All of Andrew's scenes could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. There's a lot of people who are kind of upset with what she's saying and how she's saying it and are saying that she comes across as a bit, you know, smug and condescending. Um, but some of the comments she's made is that, you know, um, she hated the original, the prince was a stalker, uh, and now they're made, they've made Snow White like this boss babe and she's going to become a leader and they've got a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people assume is a love story because we cast a guy in the movie. She said, referring to Andrew Burnup, who I assume plays the prince. And she said, all of Andrew's scenes got cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> um, before admitting in a separate interview that she was terrified when she went on a Snow White ride at Disney World. There's just lots of interviews where it's kind of seems that at any opportunity to be like, oh, the 1930 version was stupid because Snow yeah. White wanted to be in love and that's stupid. Like, she should be building an empire. Mm. And it's not feminist. It's not feminist. No. Fall in love um, with someone. Yeah. She's, yeah, copying a lot of. Mm. And, of course, when, you know, I could see this and be like, oh, yeah, the girl, she needs a PR team. She needs mm-hmm. to, you know, learn how to do interviews better or have someone offside being like, yeah. you know, doing that. But, of course, a lot of people, are when they hate, they hate pretty hard. So there's 
Yes. Plenty of very vicious talk going yeah. on on the internet. The yeah. Moment. And with like the rise of TikTok and social media and all of that, like I feel like celebrities are really hesitant now to even do those. And these aren't even junket interviews. So mm. the movie isn't out yet. Is the movie even being made? I think it's, I don't, it's like in production, right? They're yeah. kind of talking to her at these off-the-cuff kind of red carpet events. She's not sitting there doing the official press tour for the movie. Mm. So she probably hasn't been briefed yet. She doesn't have her talking points. And I feel like she's really overcompensating. Like she's she's trying to like read the room a little too much and be like, I hate the original because she's expecting that people start to go, well, the original's kind of fucked because yeah. all these things happen. And I think a lot of the blowback is people seeing her as being a bit ungrateful that she was mm. cast. Yeah. But I I truly believe that everyone at 22 is a no talkie. You're hot. Everyone's hot when they're 22. Even if you're ugly, I you're hot was when you're 22. I was an idiot. And you're an idiot. You just keep talking and you can't if you, stop. If you interviewed me at 22, Ugh. people they would be people would hate me. Yeah. I know that they would. Even at, even at 29, I get a little <laughs> bit scared. But I've learned through life experience what I would and wouldn't say on camera. But if you're like a plucky 22-year-old yeah. and that's when you think you know everything as yeah. well. Mm. like You know everything and you think whatever you say has like an effect yeah. on other things and sometimes it just might not mean anything to anybody else. Yeah. But she just feels empowered here and she's going to roll it. Yeah. She's going to tell the world how it really <laughs> fucking yeah. is. But it does – it feels ungrateful. It's like you got cast as Snow White. You're making fuckloads of money out of this. It's launching your career. Yeah. Like what are you, what are you doing talking shit about it? Sure, it was cooked. But yeah. again, we're remaking an old fairy tale mm. from 1937. And of course, there's going to be weird the shit in Like Beauty and the Beast is truly <laughs> fucked. Like yeah. that's literally like – he held her captive and he was a beast. Mm. Yeah. And, like, forced her to fall. Like that was fucked. And you didn't hear Emma Watson going on about that. <laughs> yeah. She should have, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. That was messed up. But I'm curious to see it. I'm I'm curious with these Disney remakes oh, to see I've... how they like modernise them slightly. Well, I think it's also I've been seeing some conversations around how not all female characters need to be feminist icons. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how Snow White was kind of always just, you know, more of the gentle, like just wanted love and all of that. And it's, I feel like if we just have every movie now where everyone's a boss babe, it's yeah. going to become a bit stale and dry. Like it's okay to just want to be in love. Mm. That's cool. And you frolic could, around. I would love that. Apples. If I could do that, if I could just have like seven friends that I hang out with all the time yeah. and I pick apples and I wear a cute dress, like I would take that over everything. Yeah. I'd do it. Career. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same when you've seen that happen before with Robert Patterson. At least Robert waited till after the movies had come out to shit on mm. Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> like you wait, Rachel, you wait afterwards. Yeah, you don't yeah. do it before on the promotional tour. It hasn't even like Has, finished yeah. filming, I don't think. <laughs> We'll move on to uh, a bit of movie news that has caused quite a stir. Um, famous, mm. famous sports movie. A lot of people know it. A lot of people loved it. The mm-hmm. Blind Side, the yep. iconic 2009 film starring Sandra Bullock, Josie Rosenberg-Clark. There's been some real-life shit that has blown up this week. Yeah, so Sandy won her Oscar for mm. this movie playing a rich white woman. So clearly yep. had to dig deep for that one, <laughs> playing against type. A lot of method acting would have had to. Hugely. Yeah. I think, you know, she dyed her hair blonde, which is massive, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. a brunette to, to take that leap. She did it. She got her Oscar. And the, the 
the point of the movie, it's like it's a, based on a true story. I'm doing that with inverted commas because of recent reports. We don't know how true this story is. So basically it's one of those real like American white saviour propaganda movies where there's this um, – homeless black teen his mum's an addict he is sleeping like outside the school he's like really tall big for his age and Sandra is like I think he'd be good at football I think I saw this movie in 2009 <laughs> so I'm I'm paraphrasing but they take him in because they're rich mm. and they they get him into school via the football team I think yeah. and then he ends up like playing professional NFL and it's mm. this real like if they hadn't been here for him he wouldn't have made it and she like basically coached him she's this little blonde white mm. woman talking to this big black boy and like telling him how to be a I don't know what position he plays whatever yeah teaching him how to do it and now all of that is blown up in our faces that movie that made us feel so good inside yeah he has come out and said that the whole thing is based on a lie and they didn't actually ever legally adopt him. And in fact, he says he's actually filed a court petition alleging that Sean and Leanne Tui, oh, sorry, his name is Michael Orr. Michael Orr, yeah. Orr. yeah. And they're Sean, Sean and Leanne Tui. He's saying that they um, tricked him into signing these um, so that they would be his conservators because apparently you can't legally adopt someone that's – he was 18 basically yeah. when all this happened. But that, that meant that they had all this power over his finances basically right. and could make these like legal decisions for him. And he didn't know that. He thought that he was their son legally and that they'd adopted him. But really it was more of a financial – decision so basically this has been going on for a while like he has written a book where he it's come out this year um i think this month actually and he said um you know for the past 14 years like it's created all this hurt mm. and like been the hardest thing in my life like people don't know the true story behind it the couple have come out and said oh but we didn't like we there was the only way we could look after him was being like we didn't get any money from the movie he's saying they got millions of dollars yeah. in royalties from the movie they're saying they didn't the um Sean Tui says that the author of the book The Blind Side gave us some of his share of the royalties which was $14,000 each and Michael got that he's yeah. saying they and they split it five ways yeah. between the family which yeah. is those two the two kids and Michael yeah and they didn't do that yeah so there, there's a bit of a war Wait, of why words are they giving it to on. the kids well, the kids got. Well, what the, the kids got to do with it? The argument was that they, as a family, were getting this money. That's mm. what they were telling the media: is that they, mm. as a family, were getting this money, and they were splitting it equally between everyone in the family. Yeah. But as biological learned, kids and adopted kids. Yeah. But as we've learned, they weren't family because they didn't technically adopt him, mm. and they were just doing the conservatorship, which mm. we remember with Brittany. Brittany. Um, mm -hmm. The last time that came up, and there are heaps of like heaps of issues. Like he obviously in the movie. He had huge issues. Michael Orr, the actual player, had huge issues with the fact that he was portrayed as basically being really, really dumb and yes. unable to yeah. kind of advocate for himself and mm. kind of useless without them, mm -hmm. which wasn't the case. Yeah. Like you, you step back and you look at actually his childhood. He did come from 
um, a troubled home. His mum was a drug addict. He was one of a heap of kids. But he had been identified by people at the school as having a huge amount of drive mm-hmm. and um, a lot of ticker. And he was doing okay. He was, I think, in year 11, he was um, bouncing between, in real life, was bouncing between friends at school's homes and sleeping on couches and sleeping wherever he could. And then that's the point where they brought him into the family and adopted him yeah. at the time, which is what they claimed. And he thought he was adopted at the time because they were telling him that, oh, um, we've adopted you. The way the paperwork's done is just it's easier for us to do it this way, et cetera, et cetera. He signed that conservatorship thing not understanding what he was signing. And because conservatorship for adults is often you might not have the ability to manage your own finances or whatever, mm. he'd just been signed up to this conservatorship, which he obviously had the ability to manage his own finances. Mm. And while the movie and all that sort of stuff was happening, he was making it in mm. the NFL. He played for the Ravens, um, Titans and Panthers. And so he was making a lot of money from the NFL. So he was not primarily concerned with the financial yeah. ramifications of all of that sort of stuff. But then over time, he learned that, A, basically they were making money out of it when they told him mm. They weren't. He wasn't seeing any of that. And then the final straw was finding out that he wasn't actually legally adopted at all. Yeah. And they'd just been doing yeah, this. Yeah, which is one thing. But then the entire movie's premise is that they adopted him. Like yeah. that's mm. the point of the movie. So it's bad enough that they lied to him about it. Yeah. But they, like, they've they made all this money off a lie because like literally that's the plot line. And it, it, makes, it makes the whole story seem pretty icky yeah. as well. Yeah, like, the exploitation. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. At, at the time of the time we're speaking, they have not they're yet to respond to any comment from the media. The media have all asked some questions about what exactly is going on. Mm. Was that was there ulterior motives the whole time or was it something that they were doing out of the goodness of their yeah, heart? Yeah, did, did they see him in? playing football before they mm. like adopted him? I yeah. think they did in the – I can't remember. I honestly watched it once in 2009. But a lot of people watched this movie. It made hundreds of millions yeah, of dollars. Yeah, 300 million. So yeah. it's bad. And he says it it damaged his career because he basically had to go through the whole way with coaches and people in the NFL thinking he was an idiot. Yeah, like yeah. He wasn't he's got very like smart learning at all. difficulties in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he was saying that was such an issue for him overcoming that with – um, coaches and staff and in negotiating contracts and all that sort of stuff and just basically the impression that people had mm. of him. So he had long-running issues with that all through his career. He hated that. And then, yeah, this the fact that he wasn't legally adopted and the fact that they were making money, he's kind of learned it progressively yeah. over time mm. and it's got worse and worse to the point where now he's suing and he's very fucking unhappy, which is fair enough. He's trying to get um, his fair share out of the proceeds that they made from the royalties mm. from the movie which I guess we'll see. We'll see yeah. how that all plays out. But, yeah, it's it's a very icky. It's very, very a icky. very icky yeah. footnote to a movie that, as you said, you know, white saviour aside, mm. a lot of people loved and thought, you know, it had so many feel-good things about it. can't but, believe Hollywood would do that. Change, I know. Change the history of a black person's story. They've never done that before. <laughs> Ever. Moving back home to uh, Australian waters. Mm. Not on Australian soil. We're talking about Below Deck Down Under, which for people who don't know, Effie's reality show about crew who work on these luxury boats and, you know, do what they have to do in terms of work and then party and live it all up. Yeah, but there's been a a bit of a scandal out of that, the Australian version. Yes. So I'm going to issue a trigger warning. 
ahead of this. It was pretty, this was horrifying to see. As you said, below deck, there's all these young crew members who work together on a super yacht during charter season. And mm-hmm. there's been a couple of incidents that have occurred in the sixth and seventh episodes, which both aired at the same time last week. So one of the crew members, Luke Jones, he has been in 11 episodes of this series and he was shown entering the cabin of a fellow cast member, Margot Sisson, without consent and he was just completely oh naked. They were all partying and they were drinking and she's obviously, she's had a bit too much to drink so she's been rebu- rebuffing his advances all night mm. and he's been a bit of a creep for a while. Mm-hmm. So she goes and she goes to her bunk bed and she falls asleep, she pulls the blankets up and then he's seen just entering and he's completely naked, oh my climbs on top of her bed. Yeah. And he's trying to, he's, he's about to, you know, like try and get under the sheets when the production team come through and they're like, no, you have to leave. And then he tries shutting the door on them. Oh my God. And they're like, no, she, she said, no, you have mm. to get out. Mm. So that happens, but it, get wor- it gets worse. Oh. So another one of the yacht attendants, Laura Bilskane, uh, has this big chat with Margot and after the incident and she's like, Luke was only joking and he's just a sexual person and, you know, don't make a big deal out of this. And everybody's instantly like, pick me, girl, pick me, girl. Mm. But she has also been, Laura has been harassing Adam and been trying oh. to get onto him and making him very uncomfortable, touching him, everything. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's pretty much as bad as Luke. Anyway, they both get kicked off the show. Mm-hmm. and she is still supporting Luke. So Laura has been on Instagram saying, I will stay loyal to myself and my friend Luke. I never do or ever will stand up for what is wrong, and you can, and you cannot bent me. I'm a hustler, and you have nothing on me. Hashtag haters gonna hate, and that's on you. Okay. You cannot bend her. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You simply cannot. I think she means bend, but she just spelled it wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to assume. Classic. I just like, there's footage of this. Like, you can't be coming in defending, like, he's only joking that he's naked and about, like, but also the producers should have stopped him from, they should have stopped that sooner, in well, my opinion. I'm, I've been seeing all these comments like, oh, the producers are so great for stepping in. One, they, of course they should. <laughs> yes. And two, it's that he shouldn't have been able to enter her room mm. but mm. naked and climb on top of her. Yeah. Like they film him going in. Yeah. I'm like that. Sh- you shouldn't have let her even let him go into the room yeah, when she's been like rejecting him all night, and then he's naked and about to open the door. That's when no, you're not going in there. Like yeah, I think that's shocking from the producers. And really also, bad. it goes to show what would have happened if they weren't there, yeah. and that's the terrifying thing. Mm. And that is that's on TV. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone's seen it. And then to have. Laura, who also knows and can see what's going on, yeah. and she d- keeps defending him yeah. every last breath and um, trying to get allies within the group saying, oh, no, he was fine, he wasn't doing anything, he didn't mean anything. Mm. No, he was naked. <laughs> he was yeah, naked. That's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter Seedy if he did reality TV. Yeah. Huh? It doesn't yeah. matter if he didn't get under the sheet. You know what it reminds me of is the turkey slap. Oh, I was just about to say Have that. Have we learned nothing from Big Brother's infamous turkey slap incident? Yeah, that was huge, wasn't mm. it? We need John Howard to call for Below yes. Deck Down Under to be cancelled, I reckon. He yeah. needs Pulled to weigh in. 
Let's see what what's Albo got to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, Albo's too busy posing um, in every single Matilda's photo opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so he won't have time for that. Um, whilst also not providing them with adequate funding. Now, that segues nicely into the Matildas. Obviously, we can't talk about results either way. But mm. I just thought at this point in the tournament, I wanted to just quickly have a overview and run through some of the facts and figures and all that sort of stuff and see what it means moving forward uh i'll be gone um spoiler alert um you know i'm departing off on a um 18 week kentucky tour so (laughs) i won't be able to to provide a rundown on you know the end of the tour we're not gonna have any sports person mm. anymore uh, what are we going yeah, to do I only like afl so yeah. it's very limited window gonna have to uh start going to the yes. pub for yeah. <laughs> 16 hours a week drinking schooners <laughs> and just watching all sorts of sport effie bateman um so yeah i won't be able to talk about the famous australian victory in the final um on mm. sunday night so <laughs> what we're going to do is just quickly go where we've got to with the tournament Obviously, it's smashed a fuckload of records, right? Mm-hmm. So the the game against France was the most watched sporting event in Australia since Cathy Freeman won gold in 2000. Um, it's actually the most watched TV event since that episode of Neighbours where uh, <laughs> Jared Tofish Rebeshi drove Dee off the cliff immediately mm. after marrying her setting off a 16-year plot um, where Dee was uh, impostered um, yeah. in Aaron's bra but then eventually returned, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. So it's the biggest TV event Huge. since that episode of Neighbours and you would imagine there's a fair chance that last night's game, which I'm talking about even though it hasn't happened, mm. has potentially broken that Cathy Freeman record or if we make it to the final, that will break that record. The reason I think the viewing records are really important and are really um, basically symbolic of progress that's happening is because TV ratings equal dollars. That's Mm. where so much of the revenue for sports teams comes from is from how many people actually watch the game. Mm. And so that's why it makes such a difference here in Australia that people are tuning in and watching the game rather than just talking about it. They're making sure that there are eyeballs on that because that's what generates revenue. So... There was four thousand, uh, four million on seven for Australia versus France. They reckon seven million across all platforms in terms of Optus Seven Plus, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Australia, Denmark had three point six million just on seven. Then there were other numbers um, that took it up on those other platforms. It's been progressively getting bigger for all of the Australia games, but it's also been getting big, big numbers for the other games Mm. within the tournament, which is quite important because obviously we're caught up in Matilda's mania here, which is going to drive up the price of the rights for the 2027 Women's World Cup, but it needs to have viewers all over the world to globally drive up the price of the Women's World Cup to then have a greater prize pool to give out to all the players and generate Mm. more revenue throughout the game if mm. that makes rather sense. Rather than generate revenue for TV channels. Exactly. Ultimately and so, we want and the channel gals seven, to be making Channel money. 7 have got the absolute bargain of the century so far oh potentially. So the numbers that they reckon, the estimates are that Optus paid um, between 10 and 60 million 
extremely <laughs> large goalposts. So yeah. I think SMH was saying 60 million. Optus paid for the entire 64 games. AFR was saying 10 million for the entire um, 64 games. Mm. Channel 7 got 15 games, which is the Matildas games, quarterfinals, semis, uh, final, third place, etc., and a couple of other games. Um, but they're saying that they only paid five million. Whoa! For oh my that. god! Um, and obviously they're getting huge, huge ratings. Yeah. Um, so they've made a huge, huge investment, and I can't imagine that they will be paying five million for the rights to the 2027 yeah. World mm. Cup. In comparison to the Men's World Cup last year in Qatar, SBS played paid roughly twenty million for the all sixty four games. Mm. which is pretty good when you consider – I don't think it's $60 million. I don't think Optus paid $60 million. I reckon they would have been mm. somewhere close to that $20 million. So it does seem like there is somewhat parity yeah. in mm. that sense. Like obviously if the men got to the quarterfinal, the ratings would have yeah, been through the fucking yeah. roof as well. Yeah. They would have been higher than the Matildas probably, yeah. like, mm. if we're honest. So that's kind of where the men's was. The women's – 2019 World Cup, they got like in Australia, we paid absolutely fuck all for them. They didn't get huge viewers, but the viewers up heaps, heaps this time around globally. Um, so just quickly, 53.9 million viewers in China watched China versus England. That's yeah. six fuck. one defeat. So that's a big, big one. The US got roughly 4 million for on average across their games and their games were at bad times for mm. them. Mm. So that was up on the 2019 World Cup. The United Kingdom got 5.2 million as their peak over their victory in Nigeria, which is pretty good numbers for them. Obviously they had another 2.6 million watching on additional streams, so you know nearly seven and a half, eight million. Germany had 10.36 million tuning in to their game against Colombia. South Korea is up 300% on the previous World Cup. Brazil had an audience of 13.9 for their match against Panama. Across the world, we don't know the figures yet, but across the world it seems like viewing is up heaps. And so FIFA initially about a week ago said they were on target to have an overall audience of 2 billion people worldwide, wow. which compares to 1.19 billion from the 2019 World Cup. It's worth noting that there's 32 teams this time around rather than 24, mm. but I think it's going to go significantly higher than that because all of the projections have been blown out of the water so far in terms of ticket sales and revenue and um, viewers across globally and in Australia. So the fact that that's gone up that much means that obviously for the 2027 World Cup, there's going to be a much greater price that FIFA can put on mm. the rights to that, both in Australia and globally. So it's good to see that globally it's having mm. the traction because that then should generate why do you, revenue. Why do you reckon there's been like a massive explosion? Because it's been mm. nuts. I've never thought in a million years I would see packed pubs, people screaming at the TV to see women play. It's amazing. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's just... I can't speak for Blown the rest up. of the world. I know Aussies, we just fucking get behind mm. any Aussie doing well in sport. Yeah. Like yeah. we just love it. Like, and I yeah. think that transcends gender. Like we just yeah. love getting behind we, we, the We're absolute Aussies. bandwagon fans. We love getting behind yeah. a team that's winning. And that's yeah, what I jumped. Yeah, jumped on the Matildas have been doing that for a long time and they've been doing it in a global game, which is played by the whole world, not just a handful of countries like most of our other sports are. So the fact that we're winning in a global game 
consecutively and for an extended period yeah. of time. And the fact that it's it is a home world cut, right? Like yeah. it makes sense that it's we've got packed out stadiums for, for a global sport in a yeah. prime time stadium. Mm. It's perfectly harnessed the nation. And you imagine that we'll now see funding at a federal level in terms of yeah. grassroots sports yeah. and stuff. Greater funding. That's a separate thing just in terms of, yeah, all of the viewing and what that means. Basically, before the tournament, Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA, came out and hit out at all of the TV companies around the world. He said that everyone's talking about equality and all the problem is it comes back to TV rights in a lot of these things. He says the offers from broadcasters in the big five European countries are basically still very, very disappointing. So where companies like Sky in the UK or whatever would be offering uh, money for the Men's World Cup, he was saying they were offering between 10 to 50 times more for funding for broadcast um, rights than they were offering for the women's broadcast mm. rights. So he is negotiating hard with that. And given the numbers, uh, roughly, if we're going to get over $2 billion, which they reckon over $5 billion tuned in to the Men's World Cup, so we're getting much closer in terms of viewership of women's sport, you imagine that the offers for the 2027 World Cup are going to be so much closer to the men's. Yeah. And then that's when the prize money starts becoming a lot closer to the men's because obviously people go, well, prize money, prize money, prize money. If it's not generating the same amount of revenue, it's mm. hard to justify mm. the prize money in that sense. Mm. So you guys can talk about it when I'm gone, the viewership that happens and the final numbers and where all, all of that means and mm. where all that gets to. But it seems like it's smashed it out of the park in terms of ratings both here and globally. And it's good to see that it's doing well globally, right? Because yeah. we're mm. caught up in Matilda's yeah. mania. And, Prime Prime. and also because you know, they're here. Yeah. There'll be a bidding war in 2027 between, you know, the likes of uh, SBS probably out of the equation now. It's going to be <laughs> nine and seven. Mm. They'll go back and forth for who can get those rights. And that's great, um, but obviously we're a drop in the ocean in terms of the global football mm. community. But the fact that it is doing well overseas, hopefully we'll see some uh, bigger offers and then that prize money will get increased. Um, and, and the gals will get that bread. The yeah. gals get that bag. The gals get paid. So there you go. That's great. Mm. But it is good to see that some of the top – I was reading an article about the top viewed sporting events in Australia on TV. Kathy Freeman being two one women, two th- and Ash Barty winning yeah, yeah. as well. And I remember being at a pub watching Ash Barty and people like yelling at yeah. the TV. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, It's good that we get behind the gals. I love all the bandwagon jumping. Yeah. It's been the year of Barbie and Matildas. You know, there's yep. a lot. Yeah. Yep. Go Everyone yeah. else is just Ken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All aboard. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this episode, we're mm. into the final and yes. we can get a few more million people on the bandwagon for a historic sporting event. But touch wood, I'll probably jinx it now. I'll probably yeah. fuck Great. It up. Nice one. Oh no, fuck no. No. <laughs> take it back. Anyway, Don't put I that into the universe. It's not one of those things you can do. But there you go. That's it for today. That's it for me for a little while as well. As I said, going off on that Kentucky tour. Um, going to be so epic. Um, Enjoy. Um, I don't know. Where do people go on Kentucky tours? Croatia? Oh, sail Am- Croatia? Yeah, going to do sail Croatia. Then it's going to be Are like, you going to go to the red light district, Yeah, going to go to Amsterdam. Oh Are you going to green out um, in public? That'd 100%. Be so funny. going to do that. Then I'll do some shit in like Paris. Oh, I'll yeah. Go, probably go to Ibiza. And yep. then London as well. Um, yeah, so that'd be pretty London. epic. And then Southeast Asia on the way back. So. I think you should do the ayahuasca, is it? Where you drink stuff, you see, <laughs> like, sh- you yeah, with a shaman, you yeah. see, and then you shit yourself. But then you, like, have, you discover what it's like 
to have empathy. Mm. Yeah. That's Wrong parts of the world, I think, for oh, that, unfortunately. So okay. there'll be no empathy for me. Um, <laughs> you can but like, yourself anywhere, spare, though. Like, spare a thought for, like, my liver, bro. Like, oh, say a prayer for my liver. Like, I'm going to be, like, drinking, like... <laughs> Like a hundred days straight, like it's gonna be so <laughs> epic. Um, so that's gonna be mad. But yeah. filling in for me is Stacey Oakshief, future goat, um, pop culture. Mm. She's a gun. Pop all culture that sort of queen. Stuff. Pop culture queen. TV memes. TikTok. I'm sure you guys will go down TikTok wormholes together. <laughs> um, yeah, she'll be filling in. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll be listening from overseas when I'm like hungover on like a bus. Like yeah. heading somewhere. I'll be like listening <laughs> to you guys. And yeah, look, I'll try and get some empathy training along the way. See how we can go. But um, for now, mm. goodbye. I'll leave you in Stacey's capable hands and I'll talk to you guys soon. Enjoy. R.I.P. your liver, bro. Oh, <laughs> I literally feel it hurting already. <laughs>